You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network for another week of Halloween-themed podcasts in October of all months, uh, because it seemed appropriate to us, uh, but we're not covering your typical Halloween episodes, TV shows, movies, whatever it is. There's going to be no Nightmare on Elm Street here, there's going to be no Poltergeist, there's going to be no Dracula or anything else like that, no American Horror Story. Uh, so far, if you've been tuned into us every single week, Rossi and I have covered... Uh, last week, two episodes, Halloween episodes of Parks and Recreation, and the week prior to that, we covered It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And this week, we, as we tease at the end of the last episode, we're covering a very, I'd say, unconventional uh, Halloween-type movie, more of a murder mystery than anything else, but the movie that kind of gave us the idea to do this in the first place, because one day Rossi messaged me and said, we have to cover this, and you have to have me on the episode, and then you kind of pitched doing a bunch of subtle Halloween things. And... Of course, we're talking about, as everybody's guessed it, Clue from 1985, the famous Halloween film Clue, which it's funny when I asked you, like, is that really a Halloween thing? Because I've never seen the movie. Uh, You said to me, yeah, you know, it's kind of aired at Halloween or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's going to uh, be a fun episode to cover here. Uh, And uh, let's just kick it off here with the introductions. My name is Colin and husbands should be like Kleenex, soft, strong and disposable. And I am Rossi, and flames, flames <laughs> on the side of my face, breathing, <laughs> heavy breaths. Yeah, I was hoping that we'd get to mention that one uh, at least once in this episode. <laughs> one of the best lines. Uh, if you're very confused right now, stop this episode, go get the movie Clue from 1985, and then listen to it again, because there's no way... And watch the movie twice, and then come... Yeah, and watch listen. it twice. Something that I didn't have the luxury to do, so I'm going to be all over the place here. Uh, but as I said, I mean, we, we tease at the end of this, you said, well, it's kind of aired around Halloween... And before I watched it, you know, the day before, because um, I just watched it, you know, within the last day or so, uh, I kind of Googled, I'm like, is this really a Halloween thing? Are people really going to be, you know, asking questions? And I found quite a few uh, places on the internet where people have identified this as being sort of your uh, um, not so obvious Halloween classic. And after watching the movie, I can kind of see it because it felt weird to me. I knew that this was kind of a comedy. It's based on a board game. Um <laughs> It's a murder mystery, which I think those things are more, you know, like, you know, Murder on the Orient Express or whatever. It's not what you'd consider like Halloween, but there's just this mood to the movie. It's like this this really interesting balance between comedy, quirkiness, mystery, and then a lot of, you know, kind of subtle, unexpected scares throughout this movie. So after watching it, I totally get this being kind of a Halloween thing, but... uh I won't have much to add to this as far as my experience of watching this movie because I just watched it for the first time in the last 24 hours. Uh, Rossi, you're the big fan. You're the one that suggested this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why you picked Clue to cover here on this random Halloween podcast? Um, well, I mean, the first idea for the Halloween thing was to get away from the expect- expectations. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't, want, I didn't want to watch, like, I don't know, Halloween or... Friday the 13th or something, well, those are good movies. Like, it's not something that I just really wanted to cover. And this is a movie that I would love to cover because it's just a great movie. And I thought it would be an interesting one to take an honestly, like, added bonus of you never seeing it before. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, you're the movie guy in my eyes. Like, you see all these movies and I expected you to see it, but 
it was such an ad bonus that you didn't. And I think it's just like a strange movie. It's got your suspense. It's got your occasional like jump scare with the thunder and the lightning or chandeliers. the <laughs> chandeliers, the lights going out and everything. So I think there's a lot of like elements of scare and horror, but it's definitely greatly subdued mm-hmm. by the camp that it, it does. And it's just, it's such a subtle movie, but it's so great. And the more you watch it, I feel like the more you fall in love with it, at least for me, it's been the case. Like the more I watch it, the more I'm like, I pick up on new lines or jokes or I just like, I just enjoy the characters more. The scenes are better. It's just something. It makes it better every time. I'm going to kind of give away a bit of my review here, at least which direction I'm leaning towards by saying this, but I can believe agree with you. Like, I love this movie. I thought it was a blast. And it's so, like you said, subtle in that it doesn't really dedicate to being a murder mystery. It doesn't dedicate too much to being a horror. It doesn't dedicate to being too much to a comedy. Uh, it definitely dedicates to being kind of campy, but that's the fun in it. And the period setting, you know, makes it, I think, feel a little bit classier than uh, a movie like this would have otherwise been if it was placed in 1985. But it's so quick fire that it's not just the idea that with movies like this, you know, you have so many uh, things going on and then the endings just let's throw everything at you. And here's how there were 16 scenes prior to now that all led to the ending. And if you were paying really close attention, you caught it. Uh, but even if you were paying really close attention, you still have to go back and watch it again. Even just the comedy in this like you said so many funny lines it's just quick fire it's coming at you like really I I was rewinding several times I'm like oh I know that line was funny but I need to write it down you know and it's just it it never lets up and this is the type of movie I could see myself watching multiple times Uh, for one thing just because the fun in something like this is that it's similar to something like Psycho or Scream that when it ends you know there's this twist that they set up all the way in the beginning and there were all these uh, moments throughout that would lead towards that and now you have to go back and see well I want to watch it from the point of view of knowing what's going on now and I'd be curious to do that so I may even very well watch this movie again with you know in the next week uh, <laughs> just to see how my view experience changes the other thing we should mention is uh, this was a huge experiment at the time it came out I mean we live in a world where Battleship became a movie uh, and really had nothing to do with the game Battleship uh, I feel like it's difficult to knock Battleship because it's got Taylor Kitsch in it, who's, you know, a great Canadian actor. And it's got Rihanna in it, who is amazing at everything else. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it had nothing to do with the board game. And and this, I I think for years, I sort of saw it as like, oh, they made a movie out of the board game Clue. And I didn't realize how smart the movie would be. And that's kind of where I think the idea of let's, make this board game a movie it just sort of ended it a lot of people would look at this and say it's just a cheap way to promote board games you know like uh, gi joe or transformers promotes toys i think this was just they came up uh, they played a board game one day and said we could make a cool movie out of this and even little things they did like filming multiple endings and depending on what city you were in and what theater you were in and maybe what showtime you were in you were seeing a different ending in 1985 depending on where you are viewing this. And, you know, of course, the home video version that we're going to talk about today has all three of these somehow grouped in the end. But it's it would have been an incredibly difficult concept to explain to people in 1985. 
And I feel like that's probably the reason why this movie bombed when it first came out. I mean, it barely made anything. Uh, we'll go over the box office at the end. But definitely a movie that I think has developed a cult following over time because I heard about this for years. And I think I even recorded it one day when I was on TCM uh, and just never got around to watching it. And eventually, oh, I'm never going to have a chance to watch this. But I'm so glad I did now. And I think it was, it's, it's such a fun experiment to do a movie like this. And I kind of wish that we get more like this. Not saying every board, we don't need, you know, uh, Snakes and Ladders, the movie, <laughs> but there are clever ways that you can turn a non-movie property into a movie. I think this is a perfect example of that. And then we have the bad versions, like um, the Emoji Movie, or <laughs> other, or like other Pixels or whatever mm-hmm. junk like that. So I think that things taken with care and concern can be great. Yeah, like this movie and. The other thing that should be noted, I mean, this was probably considered, you know, just your typical blockbuster movie at the time it came out, not special effects or anything, but they really went out of their way to get a really respectable cast and even the the crew behind the movie, you know, pretty respectable. Um, obviously, the director, Jonathan Lynn, had never done anything at the time. Uh, he went on to direct such other cult classics as The Fighting Temptations with Cuba Gooding Jr. and... <laughs> Sergeant Bilko with Steve Martin and, uh, oh, the whole nine yards. I hate that movie. Uh, not to mention the pilot of the Ferris Bueller TV show. Oh, Jonathan <laughs> Lynn, what happened? Uh, <laughs> but, like, this was his first movie. But then you also consider, you know, Deborah Hill, who produced this, did the Halloween movie and, you know, Escape from New York uh, before this. And uh, John Landis was involved in the screenplay, you know, who did uh, Animal House and Blues Brothers and American Werewolf in London. I mean, they had a really talented group of people just in the uh the the creative side of this and then you add the cast which we went over in the last episode i mean this cast is insane in 2017 you go back to 1985 and some of these actors at the peak of their career like christopher lloyd uh it's just it's they 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 really tried to treat this as a respectable movie even though it just is cheap fun entertainment yeah but it it never took itself too seriously Mm -hmm. at the time of making it which I think makes it, it adds a charm to it. And then now I feel like we can take it even more seriously as a movie just because it does so many things so well. And it could be like, as noted in my notes, I wrote, it's like a good movie for scene study, character study, mm-hmm. development. And I guess one of the things about the movie that I love so much is that every scene has weight. Mm-hmm. And the fact that every detail is, you know, there's no... There's no unnecessary plot points. There's no, you know, side stories, really. Everything is intertwined in such a perfect way. And I think that's through real tight analysis of everything. And I think that's what really makes this film so exceptional. Yeah, and even when they get to the end of the movie, I mean, obviously there are the three endings. And all the characters have these different quirks. You know, uh, one's husband is a politician. The other one was, you know... um, uh, you work for the UN and all that. I mean, they, they all have their place and it's there to be like, well, maybe it could be this person for that. And they find a way in all three endings to make all of these characters' backgrounds relevant. It's not just, oh, well, here's the one character and we can discard the stuff about, you know, uh, Professor Plum in this one. I mean, regardless of whichever ending you're watching, every character is given some type of relevance in it. And that's kind of an example of how smart this movie is. There was really only one sequence where I thought to myself... I don't really have to be taking a lot of notes right now. There's not a lot going on. But when we get to that, it'll be fun because 
I think some of the best moments of the movie happen during that. Uh, but let's start off just with the uh, introductions to all the characters here. So as the movie starts, uh, we have the title on the screen, you know, New England, 1954. So placing this in a period setting is kind of like what I said. If you if you make a campy movie in 1985 and you have it set in 1985, I think it becomes dated. You set anything in 1954 and it just brings a little bit more respectability to it. Um, so we have that specific year, not not fifty five. Yeah, it has to be fifty three. Fifty four. Exactly. Yeah. If you try fifty five, you know, it's it's a little bit too back to the future. You try fifty three, it's a little bit too pre communism. Communism is very important to this era. Uh, all the characters get introduced here. Uh, let's kind of run through, without running through every single moment of the character. Let's just run through them here, and and the, most of these come from the board game. Like we're, we're mentioning this was based on a board game if you haven't played the board game it's fun to play and it's not what this movie is necessarily i mean all the elements of the game are here all the characters are here but <clears throat> sorry the board game is uh just a murder mystery and this is more a comedy based around that uh, i think as far as i know tim curry's character the butler wadsworth who's kind of the main character of this he's not in the game uh if i'm right about that but all the other ones uh, Colonel Mustard, played by Martin Mull. <laughs> uh, there's uh, a funny moment, probably my only association with the game Clue, which I'll mention with Colonel Mustard later on. Uh, Miss Scarlet, Leslie Ann Warren, which the role was apparently supposed to be Carrie Fisher originally. I think that's the one casting the movie. Where I'm like, yeah, she's probably not the best one in this. Uh, like Warren as Scarlet, and I think Carrie Fisher would have been incredible with it. But still, I mean, you can't knock him out here. Academy Award nominee Madeline Kahn as Mrs. White. Your profile pick right now. Uh, Christopher Lloyd may be my favorite uh, supporting actor of all time. Uh, Back to the Future and so many other things. Professor Plum. Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock. Michael McKeon as Mr. Green. Uh, and then we have the, the other characters uh, that uh, we'll get into. Some of the minor ones throughout. But those are the main ones throughout here. Uh, before we even get into the description of the character. Rossi, do you have a favorite character in this one? Um, I don't know. I'm really, I guess, I guess, I guess I could say the top three characters for me, cause I don't think I have a specific top, but I love Mrs. White, as you could probably guess. Yeah. I love Mr. Green and I love Tim Curry. Those would have been my top three as well. Um, and I think Tim Curry, because it's funny. We just call him Tim Curry. You could call him the butler. Cause it, it, but you can't, it's Tim Curry. Yeah. It's, it's just Tim Curry. And you know, he really has to carry the majority of the complicated dialogue scenes in this movie. Uh, But I think Mrs. White has all these really subtle, funny moments that you don't, you have to rewind and be like, what did she just say there? And then Michael McKeon is Mr. Green. I mean, so funny. I probably got my biggest laugh throughout this with him. So I'd I'd agree with you. Those are my top three. Uh, Any reason why? Not that the others are like bad or anything. Like I love all the characters. Like I think all the major characters uh, are incredible. Like they're, they're not all no no character I think is real standalone maybe mm-hmm. except for Tim Curry. Yeah. Like I think all the characters need each other. Kind of like we were talking in Parks and Rec all the characters there kind of some people need each other to to be funnier and to be better. I feel like that's the same here. But I guess the reason those stand out is because um I guess they're a little bit more fleshed out in their quirks mm-hmm. than the others. I feel like you could confuse Professor Plum and Colonel Mustard a little bit. 
and Mrs. I mean Mrs. Scarlet is pretty iconic as a character as well, but she just a little fades a little. But I mean, all the characters I love, I I could go on. Um, I think the other thing is just, and obviously there are some great comic actors in here, but I mean the top three at least for you know who's kind of lived their entire career in comedy. You know, Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, and uh, well, you could put Christopher Lloyd in there, but you know, definitely Michael McKeon. I mean, this this is sort of all they've done, so they are not Tim so much Kim Curry, but I think they're the ones who are at least with Mr. Green and Mrs. White, the more subtly funny ones. And there's great moments that everybody has throughout here. But yeah, I think those three are the standout ones. Um, really the introduction just happens slowly throughout this is Wadsworth, the Butler, AKA Tim Curry is just greeting people one by one. Colonel Mustard shows up and uh, you know, he doesn't want him to give his real name. Mrs. White doesn't know why they call her Mrs. White. <laughs> She's dressed in black the whole movie. Uh, w- w- was it uh, Scarlet who gets picked up on the side of the road by pervy yeah. Christopher Lloyd, <laughs> Professor Plum? So, like, her car is broken down, which I don't think we ever find out why or whatever. It does kind of bother me that as they drive away, she leaves the lights on. <laughs> like, her battery is going to be dead by the time. Uh, she left it. the hood open, too. That bothered me. Yeah, you never. I mean, this is 1954, though. It was a more innocent time. It is the only year that was an innocent enough time to leave your car unattended with the lights on and the hood open. Uh, no, in 54, she would have turned the lights off. In 55, I'm saying she would have turned the lights off. Yeah, yeah. So 54 it was okay, though. Um, yeah, no. Mrs. Peacock, uh, Mr. Green, uh, all the characters are slowly introduced here. Uh, <laughs> Professor Plum immediately starts feeling up Miss Scarlet, and they all sit down to dinner. So. This is just sort of the setting to introduce all the characters. And there are so many really funny parts before we even find out what they're there for. Everybody's kind of wondering, what do we have these aliases for? What are we doing here? Who invited us? Uh, who's this butler? What's he, you know his part in all this? And just the things around the table, like that um, Mrs. Peacock is very quick to give up, you know, I guess a bit of her background. They're not supposed to be doing that. You know, she's saying that she's a politician's wife or whatever. And then she asks Mrs. Green, and this is one of the first like really subtly funny moments that Madeline Kahn has, where he's like, uh, what do you do? And then and she's like, nothing! <laughs> she's just so loud and abrupt. I don't do anything. I'm not giving my background. Uh, we find out that Professor Plum's a shrink. Uh, there's kind of the question, well, is everybody here from Washington? So that's the first moment where they're trying to draw your attention, at least as the audience, to figure out what's going on here. The connection is something to do with Washington, because everybody is either from Washington or like Professor Plum, they work for the UM. And then Mr. Body shows up. And uh, I found it interesting just in doing my research that Mr. Body was named differently. This is the American name for the character from the board game that he was like Dr. Black or something like that in the UK version, which is the original version. Um, I feel like Mr. Body, at least it, 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 it plays funnier with what's going to happen throughout the movie here and he just sort of has this attitude you feel like he's coming in last minute uh he doesn't want to stick around he tries to leave but then you find out that the butler has locked everybody in there and why has he locked everybody in there well we have to find out there's a mention that everybody has been blackmailed uh some of the things come out here peacock's husband there's some bribery there uh miss scarlet is essentially a pimp in washington or is a pimp a uh, male only term like what do you call a female pimp I have no idea I never thought of that you call her Miss Scarlet I think we'll just call her <laughs> that's the new term yeah uh, Plum lost his license for being inappropriate with patients um, 
<laughs> See, this movie comes so quick that you even make a note of something and then you read it in your notes and <laughs> catch you off guard. Like, oh, I remember that. The way that Christopher Lloyd plays Plum is just so everything's subtle with these characters. So such a subtle, pervy character that he's just sort of this, you know, sophisticated psychiatrist or whatever in the background. And then when they mention uh Miss Scarlet's like, oh, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, I run a call girl service. And then he's like, what's the phone number? <laughs> he's just really excited to get in there. Um, the only thing that really leads us to believe, you know, somebody could be a suspect right away is the fact that Mrs. White's husband has died mysteriously. He was beheaded both on the top and the bottom, which another really funny moment where they quickly cut to all three guys crossing their legs right after she implies he was beheaded in the head and then, and then kind of motions down, they cross their legs. And then we find out Mr. Green is a homosexual and Body was trying to blackmail them all. Uh, there's a little bit of a fight scene that happens here. And then, did the lights go out? Is that what happened? No, no. Uh, they get we, the gifts. Yeah, they get the gifts first. So we'll cut it before we get to the gifts because that's where everything gets explained here. So everybody arrives. There's something to do with everybody being blackmailed. <laughs> yeah, a lot to go on here. There's a whirlwind. To <laughs> but we could cover one scene and just be as overwhelmed. Um, and, we could have just stayed in the dining room. Yeah, well, let's... <laughs> 10 minutes there let's uh let's just group in here the fact that body is obviously the one uh, that is behind all this we're gonna find out in a second and nobody wants to stick around and all the characters there's something suspicious about them here can i turn this on you before i answer and or just talk about these yeah scenes? go for it i'm really curious because i watched this movie once before with someone who had never seen it and one thing that i really liked um was seeing their reactions live, kind of, seeing what they were thinking, like, because um, obviously when we get to the end, that's really dramatic when you see all three endings. It's like, what? That's, like, really jarring for movies. So I'm really curious to know, what was your thoughts at this, during the dinner scene and the blackmailing scene? What did you, did you pick, were you piecing these things together that they were related and all that kind of stuff? Uh, like, what was your thoughts going through the early scenes? No, I mean... I, I knew nothing about this movie. The only thing I did know was there were multiple endings. So I kind of checked out to the point of not trying to overanalyze everything. I figured, well, everybody here is going to be a suspect and there's going to be an explanation for everybody. And I was just more trying to pick out the performances, you know, to see. Uh, so this was the closest I came to trying to solve the mystery. Who looks like they could be a killer? And I, I kind of would always pick up on Plum. And then you just go back to the fact. I mean, it's clear that Body is outside of this and it's probably going to be the dead body, at least from his name. And uh, a little bit with Tim Curry just thinking, well, has he brought everybody here because he's behind it? Mostly just trying to analyze the performances more than anything else. Okay, interesting. Okay. Um, okay, so for the beginning scenes, uh, a lot of good just character development and from every little scene, like, and like the jokes kind of carrying through as... Um, you know, Tim Curry steps in the dog stuff in the beginning, and then that gets brought up again and again as every character is like, what's that smell? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that, like, being small details that get carried through and everything. Um, I like the Mrs. Peacock's character, obviously, being very uncomfortable. She's uncomfortable by silence. What, no, what, why would you say that? Yeah. Um, and then I wrote the one of the best lines about um, Colonel Mustard was talking to Tim Curry and was like, what do you do? I'm the but butler, sir. Yeah. I buttle. 
Somehow I missed that in my notes. This is, I wrote more notes for this movie than I've written for anything I've ever watched. Because you just you have to catch every moment like that. Like, I buttle. Like, just something very simple but very funny. Um, and obviously, the blackmail you know, scene is very crucial and kind of learning more about why they're related, why they impact each other. Um, I, I just love it. And Mrs. White's... The, say on the matter being killed is pretty final <laughs> um, I love it yeah uh, Mr. Body I mean we'll talk about your experience watching this the first time like had you played the game enough to know well Mr. Body's going to be the body or because he's the one they're trying to make suspicious obviously from the beginning what's the okay from what I know that like if you like were to read into the like the clue lore mm-hmm. there's someone that gives them all these characters the the note to come to this house mm-hmm. who writes that in the the game is it mr body do you I, know yeah i have no idea uh I, they, I there's a reason they get to the house like mm-hmm. obviously in this we see that you know tim curry's character is the one who's sending out the letter to them to get them all here and everything and all that but is it i feel like I thought that Mr. Body was the person who was writing the letter in the game, but I may be wrong about that. I'll have to play the game and then we'll do a podcast on playing the game of Clue compared to the movie. Okay. Get back to me on that because yeah. I'm curious. But, um, <laughs> I thought that, you know, because Mr. Body stands out, he stands out in contrast to the entire rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. Like, he just looks different. He talks different. He enters differently. Like, he, he's more um, confrontational compared to everyone else. Um, so, originally, I thought that he was going to be kind of a foil in sort of the murders and everything. Like, I thought that he was going to be more impactful. And, actually, he just fades out of the movie very early. Yeah. And that was a big shock, just because he looks like the character that would be more, you know, confrontational, would be able to kill would be more willing to kill people and and like losing him so early was kind of a shock you're like oh not what i expected so it's like you're kept on your feet a little bit more were there any other suspects that you started to look at and think well this is probably going to be the killer or are you even trying to analyze the first time you're watching this you know i really don't think i did i think i was just like kind of trying to absorb it all like i mean it's been a while since i was the first time i watched this movie um but I don't know. I guess I didn't process this being a murder mystery as much. Because mm-hmm. in the game, it's like, it is a mystery. But I, I don't know. For some reason, like, I dissociated it a little too much from the game. And was just, like, trying to watch it as it unfolded. Like, because I remember being so confused when this, like, through the, the whole, you know, you've been blackmailed. And then all these people start dying. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm still confused. And I'm like... It wasn't until they started splitting up later on that I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to get it. Yeah. In terms of, okay, they're trying to figure out who's killing them, if there's someone else. Like, yeah, trying to figure out all the details. But not at first. Like, at this stage of the first time, I feel like I was just absorbed into the, into 1954. And I was just, I was in the moment instead of trying to look down the road. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, I've seen so many movies like this that, kind of like I said, you know that they're going to, 
make everybody look suspicious that I almost don't bother when watching movies like this to even try to figure it out anymore. It's more or less just, well, when they reveal it to me, is it going to be cool like the first Scream movie or is it going to be terrible like the second or third Scream movie? Uh, Or is it going to be even worse like The Bone Collector with Denzel Washington? There's one we should cover one day. Uh, But I feel like I like that all the characters, even though they're trying to make them, you don't have that typical scene where they say, well, you must be the killer. You must be the killer. It's kind of they, they they shy away from that more to just keep throwing stuff at you to to make you second guess whatever you could be thinking. Uh, the one I guess pleasant surprise here is how they work the board game into it. And I remember watching Battleship and just thinking, well, that was a terrible movie. But funny enough, the only scene I liked in the Battleship movie, outside of anything with Taylor Kitsch or Rihanna, uh, was the moment where they worked in the B twenty nine and it. It seems so stupid, but it actually was kind of fun to watch that in the movie. Nothing else in the movie was fun, but that was cool. And as you said, Mr. Body gives the presents for everybody there. And each present, they open it up. And one opens it up, and there's a candlestick. And somebody else opens it up, and there's a gun. And somebody else opens it up, and there's the rope. And it's basically all the weapons from the Clue game. So at this point, we've been introduced to all the characters. But it's done in such a a subtle way. Yeah, it's not like B-29, where you're like, ah, I get what they're doing there. Like the candlestick came and like oh yeah kind of like in the game and and yet it makes sense you know uh they do explain away why he's giving them these things the the knife and the wrench and all that um but it's he, not like he gave them like a piece of a game piece or a die yeah. or like that. it's nothing <laughs> that would like be like hit you on the head obvious but it's something very simple and i feel like they justify it well enough well yeah the, because he says these are all you is gonna weapons. kill wadsworth here and you know, it's sort of uh, making you second guess the story. At this point, you're pretty much figuring, well, they're obviously going to kill Mr. Body, but maybe they're going to kill Wadsworth. Um, I I do like that they bring these weapons in there, but also that they don't hit you over the head with it. When they're used throughout here, it's logical, and it's not just you know, here's a fun moment from the game that we're throwing at you. Uh, I like um, when they find out Wadsworth's dead. You know, the first assumption is, well, I shot, saw a shot go off, or I heard a shot. So it was whoever had the gun, but then they're already making you second guess it. Like, well, there's a bullet hole in the wall. Obviously, that's not what got you know hit him. Uh, then they start to think, well, maybe it's poisoned after um, who is it that had it? Uh, Mrs. Peacock had the drink. They're like, oh, that's probably poison. And then ah, you, <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> and of course, the maid has now entered the story, which I don't think the maid was involved in the game. Or no, maybe the, I'm looking at a picture right now with a maid in it. So maybe the maid is part of the game. Um, but yeah, the maid is in the this story now and she's screaming from the other room and it all gets very confusing with her which I think the fact something very subtle that they did with this movie was giving her that weird accent because you don't really pay close enough attention when she's talking and she also doesn't talk much and obviously we're going to find at the end of the movie here you need your attention to be off of her uh, throughout the movie and uh, the which is weird that they give her such like an not an iconic, but like a notable voice. Yeah. Like she stands out for her voice. like And her cleavage. And yet, I mean, it's those two things. <laughs> like she stands out, especially because she's wearing such like a costume. Mm-hmm. And it's like weird that she like can has the ability to fade into the background so yeah, easily. I, mean, I wish I could actually figure out how they made that work. But somehow they did make it work where she's the one character that when she pops up on screen, you're noticing her, but when she's not around, you're not thinking, well, where's Yvette? Where's the maid? Oh, I mean, that also comes in later at the end when they're like, someone wasn't here when we were here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
that, that kind of a, a clue for rewatch. Like go back and you're like, who wasn't there? Do you look at it and see who isn't there? Like, yeah, it's and- like you're there. There's so much going on that you're not like looking at all the details, but that's what you really would want to do if you were trying to solve it. You know. Well, because you're also getting so caught up in the story that you're not realizing, well, if it ultimately comes down to who wasn't there, the only person who wasn't there when the first murder took place, or I guess two people, were the cook and the maid. So one of them should be behind it. But of course, they have just by the lights going out. Oh, it couldn't have been them. You know, it could have been anybody in the room. Uh, The motive behind this, obviously, Wadsworth, Tim Curry, says that he wrote the letters and uh, his wife, of course, was a socialist. So he was being blackmailed as well. And this all is about the communism, which only works in 1954, of course. Uh, and that Mr. Body was kind of using this against them. And, you know, they, they were saying, you know, well, why wouldn't he just turn us all in? And I love the line here where it's like, well, he was trying to profit off of you. He was using this to bribe you and to make money. What's more American than that? <laughs> um, then all of a sudden, you know, we have... Uh, the the line about husbands should my favorite line husbands should be like Kleenex strong soft and disposable uh there's a lot of running around here uh the cook you know when they they run and they find out well the cook's dead now there's a knife in her back now we have two dead bodies and the first mention of Mr. Green saying I didn't do it (laughs) which that's basically his go-to line throughout this movie and they come back and body's body is gone uh where what are you looking at nothing (laughs) And, like, and then it's like nothing's there yeah <laughs> um where did he go we don't know yet um there's a, another hilarious line like this is what i was talking about with mrs white just having all these great one-liners but you never expect them coming and they're they're not the line you would expect them to say either where they're talking about you know uh life after death and life after death is improbable as sex after marriage <laughs> but you also missed a funny line when they were in the doorway Mm-hmm. Um, Miss, uh, Mrs. Peacock says we should have cut his head off to make sure and then Mrs. White says that oh, wasn't called for yeah <laughs> I had a note I about that here it. but I this is what I'm talking about like I, I finished watching this movie not that long ago and I made more notes than I ever had before and I had the no- note right in here which says cutting his head off I suppose and I thought at the time I won't need any more explanation I'll remember that but it's just so many of these things are so mem- memorable enough that you have to write it down <laughs> and then a few hours later, you're like, well, I can't remember what that line was about, so let me move on. But yeah, like, great lines like that. Uh, Mrs. Peacock again, where she says, I have to go to the little girl's room, and Yvette goes, wee oui, wee, oui, madame, and she goes, no, I just gotta go powder my nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, just the subtle ways they build people's characters so you really get them. Professor Plum, the subtle perv here, where there's the pictures or whatever. He goes, what sort of pictures are they? And he comes and he tries to look at them and he's trying to stare the whole time at these pictures. Uh, which, do we find out what the picture, like again, this movie goes so fast. What were in these pictures? Like, was it something it to do was, with the call girls? It was, um, from what I think, it was Yvette and Miss Colonel Mustard mm. in some sort of entanglement in which um, Professor Plum tries to recreate with Mrs. White. Yeah, that's right. I was trying to remember where that was in the movie. He's like, let me show you the position they were in. And he just straddles her on the couch. But yet, it's not done in such a overt way where you're like, well, this guy's disgusting. It, it, you almost could view this if you were innocent enough, you know, like 
<laughs> I would have been had I not watched this with somebody else, <laughs> uh, where you're like, oh, well, he's just being helpful. <laughs> it's, it's, I think, pro- appropriate enough to watch with your kids because they're not going to get these things that subtle enough. Um, well, maybe if your son's, like, barely talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, with body, he's dead again. <laughs> so... At this point, I am officially confused in the movie. I'm like, well, was he dead the first time? Was he still alive? Are they just moving the body as a way to you know, cause a diversion? Uh, there's a hilarious moment here where Wadsworth, the butler, is shouting. Stop shouting. He goes, I'm not shouting. And then all of a sudden, the candlestick falls on him after he's shouting that he's not shouting. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably missing a thousand things here. But we'll stop it before the first guest shows up at the door here. Uh, what they eventually realize is that people keep dying. Let's take all the weapons we have. Let's lock them up in this cabinet. And then, you know, nobody's going to die after this. So a guest comes to the door and we'll group that in the next group of scenes. Tell me whatever I'm missing here, Rossi, because I mean, th- this movie, there's so much going on. But it's all great. Um, yeah, this starts like, this is the point where it's like everything is kind of building up and you're like, you're starting to piece together what the movie is. Because at a certain point, like, I feel like at the beginning, you're not really sure what to make of what's going on. Yeah. it's going very slowly. It's just dialogue. It's no real action. And then all of a sudden, the bodies start piling up. You have the cook. You have Mr. Body. You already have two Mr. Body dead twice. Bodies. Yes. Um, and it's just like a, a good barrage of different scenes. Um, I think they're just kind of starting to really key into the comedy and the horror and the like mystery and all that into the different elements. Um, just a lot of great Mrs. White scenes as well in this moment. Um, I don't have much on this segment right here, just like because I feel like everything you touched on most of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I did mention a guy shows up at the door, which uh, he's just a passing motorist whose car broke down and he needs to uh, use the phone. And one of these jokes where I probably missed the entire exchange, but then based on everybody's expressions on screen, I'm like, I think I missed something really funny there. And I had to go back and watch it again. And this is when the guy shows up at the door. He goes, oh, I need to use your phone. Where is it? And he goes, what body? Tim Curry just responds with what body? He goes, oh, the phone. No, what body? He goes, wait, there's no body. Like, (laughs) it's just, he says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, They basically usher him into a room to use the phone and lock him in there. This becomes a running gag in the movie that every time somebody shows up, they say, oh yeah, you're welcome to come in, but they don't want him to look around and find all these dead bodies everywhere, so they just lock them up. And they decide to throw away the key at this point, which we think he throws away the key. And this is, I, don't, I would have to watch this a second time to really find out what's going on, because maybe you could even clue me in now. We have multiple endings and all that, but the one thing we know for sure is that the key is supposedly thrown away but then we have a mention in one of the endings that he pocketed the key afterwards. But then we have a key that actually is shown landing outside. And was it a dummy key? And then he says somebody slipped the key in there. Do you know what's going on with the keys here? I'm going to need your help here. That's still probably one of the most confusing moments in the movie. I guess my like fan theories could be that he may have thrown another key that he had because he has like every key apparently in his pocket. Like he has yeah. the key to the study the billiard room the ballroom the all these things maybe it was the key that locked the dogs up in the front maybe it was um a key to the front door because after that the front door is open all the time apparently Mm -hmm. because at the beginning 
um, you know, Mr. Body's like, give me the key, I'm getting out of here. And then after that, you know, Miss Peacock opens the door for the traveling, you know, Jehovah Witness or whatever, you know, like with any without a key. So it's like I get maybe it was the front door key. That's been my strongest inkling was it that he just threw away another key. Um, I mean, what this all comes down to, though, is that they're trying to eliminate who could be a suspect here and make sure nobody escapes and also make sure I guess nobody comes in. And they've locked this guy in the room, this poor motorist, um, which we don't really get enough of him, except the moment that comes up later on. You do wonder, what was he sitting around wondering that whole time? Like, was he not trying to dive out a window or something? Uh, there's a fun little exchange here, which uh, there's no way I could ever do it justice, even if I had every line. But this is the one of the funniest moments in the movie, which is kind of like a who's on first thing with Tim Curry and uh, I think it was Colonel Mustard, where he's he just keeps answering, you know, no... No, you by no do you mean yes? He goes yes, and it's like no, there is or no, there isn't. Just give me a clear answer. He goes certainly. What was the question again? <laughs> is there or is there not another person in this house? Yeah. No, or whatever they said. No, there isn't, or no, you know, <laughs> yeah, it goes. Well, then on at this for... point, they all chime in, and it's like, is there anyone in this house? And they all scream, no, no, yeah. Uh, all those moments where they just <laughs> cut back to everybody's a group are so funny. Then Colonel Mustard, after that exchange, says. Well, there seems to be some uncertainty as whether there is another person in this house yeah. or not. <laughs> uh, but the whole idea they have here is the weapons are locked up. Uh, they need to split up into pairs. Are they? Yeah, well, we'll find out later on. <laughs> Confusion with the key. Uh, so they decide to go off into pairs. And, you know, the idea behind this, is, again, some funny exchanges of dialogue when it's like, well, this isn't a great idea. Why isn't it a great idea? Because one of us is the killer. And it's like, okay, well, that's why we're splitting into pairs. It's like, well, then the person who's with the killer will die. And it's like, well, then at least we'll know who the killer is. <laughs> and then Colonel Mustard's explanation where he says, this is war. You can't make omelets without breaking eggs. Uh, any cook will tell you that. He goes, but the cook is dead. <laughs> uh, they end up having the random draw for partners. And, and then um, before Yvette's like, I'm scared. I'll be, I'm frightened of the dark. Who will go with me? And then Colonel Mustard and um, Professor Plum say, I'll go. And then Mr. Green says, no, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I'm probably going to butcher whoever's in the pairs here, unless you can remember. I'll, the only one I remember was Yvette and Mr. Green, obviously. Yvette and Mr. Green. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. White and uh, Wadsworth. Yeah. Um, Professor Plum and Miss Peacock. And then you had Miss Scarlet with Colonel Mustard. Okay. Yeah. And, all of this is important later on because they're in groups so nobody can really sneak away and do their own thing or can they I probably wouldn't be able to tell you unless I watched the <laughs> endings again and rewatch this immediately afterwards or we're in the movie <laughs> yeah we are one of the characters in the movie <laughs> yeah that's the only way you can figure it out yeah uh, but this was the sequence I talked about earlier on where they didn't really there wasn't much going on you could consider this the slow point of the movie I didn't take a lot of notes because this is about 10 minutes of them just slowly sneaking around the house. And this is where we get a lot of those little scares. You know, there's a noise. Oh, it's a rat in the basement and Mrs. Peacock screaming. And, you know, I don't want to go in there. And then there's somebody behind the curtain. All this stuff would be very effective if this were your straight murder mystery or slasher movie or anything else. And this is where I give, you know, the the director, uh, Jonathan Lynn, credit because he every time he was playing a comedy scene he played it as a straight comedy every time he was doing the murder mystery he was playing it as a mystery every time he was doing stuff like this he plays it as a horror 
And it all works together. None of it feels disjointed. Like, well, a second ago we were laughing and now we're supposed to be scared. Like somehow it works. And this is one of those movies you'd have to watch, you know, 10 times to really even start to figure out how they made this work. Uh, But some of the funniest stuff are in these scenes, even though there's nothing really to talk about other than sneaking around the house. Like just the way that Green and Yvette neither of them this is kind of all the groups nobody wants to go up uh, nobody wants to go into a room on their own but just the way that they physically play the comedy is so funny and I think it was uh, who was Mustard paired with? Scarlet yeah I think it was Mustard and Scarlet where they're kind of hugging each hugging one section of the wall going up the stairs (laughs) that just looks hilarious Uh, there was one group that split apart here that didn't make huh? did I miss something? no because um Colonel Mustard and Miss Scarlet were on the ground level. Or whoever it was that was going up the stairs. Was that, I think that was Yvette and that Green was, then. Yeah, that was Yvette and Green. Because yeah. um, Mr. Green was like, Yvette says, don't worry, I'm right behind you. Yeah. And he says, that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, and, so and then. She says, we'll go together. And they walk side by side up these really narrow <laughs> stairs. Yeah, the way they do it just looks hilarious. Uh, also, another moment when they're paired off into the groups. And of course, the whole time I'm thinking, if Plum gets paired up with Yvette. <laughs> Or Scarlet, or anybody other than Peacock, you know where this movie's going. And of course, he gets paired up. Pair him up with the old lady. Pair the perv up with the old lady. And what was the line that he gives when, uh, oh yeah, it's just me and you, honey bunch. <laughs> so even with her, he's a little bit pervy. And you could even see it when they were doing that scene. You could see, like, they're all like that mass jumble where they were, like, comparing the sticks and everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have people comparing, like, Mr. Green's comparing his next to Mrs. Peacock's little thing. Yeah, and they're like, like about a foot and a half apart in height. Yeah, like, like you obviously know that, but yet they're going the extra mile and checking everything, and it's so funny. And then you pan over as um, Professor Plum, who's the last one to figure out who his partner is, and you glance over at Mr. Green's face when he's paired as the vet, and he's just like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is where having the right cast matters, because even the comedy in this movie, it's not like they're even taking one approach to comedy. You know, a lot of this is very dialogue-heavy comedy, but then you get moments like this that's all about how you play it just with your reaction. And then the actual search around the house, which is all about how you play it physically. And then you get, you know, Tim Curry's spilling the beans on the end, which is kind of a combination of dialogue, facial expressions, you know, movement. There's just so much going on here. Uh, We'll stop it right there before we get to where the police come into this. Uh, But... uh, uh, just going over the the guy showing up at the door and then the search around the house. Anything extra you want to add? Where did it start? Uh, where the guy shows up at the door, the motorist. The motorist. You have to be specific. A lot of people yeah. show up at the door. <laughs> um, so from the motorist until before the cop shows up. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, this was started when the movie started to like really develop into like who's who, what's where, what are they doing, who's who's actually like this is where the true suspense comes in you don't know who's gonna die like you're so worried because at first when i saw this i was like mrs peacock is right like whoever like i was kind of expecting one of the pairs to just have one person dead or something yeah but it doesn't even happen like that and the interesting thing is that the main eight or not main mate seven main seven characters of the cast don't even die mm-hmm which is so unlike what you would expect from this movie. You'd expect, like, I kind of expected... One after the other to drop, yeah. 
yeah, like I thought that those were going to be the deaths, and it's not. It's the the motorist and the cop and Yvette and the cook and all these other characters that aren't in the story and the characters that are actually like in the board game survive. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think that, but um, it's just a slew of great comedy. Any scene that Mrs. Peacock in is, is in is just <laughs> so extra and so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially probably partnered with the ultimate, like as we were talking about last uh podcast the ultimate straight guy pretty much of um professor plum very yeah. very literal in the way that he does things and stuff so it's very funny to see the characters working together and i just love that everyone is so anxious it's like um when mrs miss scarlet and colonel mustard were in the billiards room and they were behind the bar and they both squeezed through the bar opening at the same time instead of going one after the other and um uh miss not mr body uh tim curry and uh madeline khan upstairs like are you gonna go in that room mm-hmm. yes are you gonna go in that room yes <laughs> and then they do like the scooby-doo like back and forth thing <laughs> and the it's just so great i, I just the such simple scenes but they're so funny and so uh, and cute and adorable mm-hmm uh, the police come in at this point. So this, oh, anything else you were trying to add there? No, no. The police, aka one off-duty cop. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, this is the other thing I found interesting about the movie. Uh, before I guess before we talk about the police, the other thing I wanted to mention is it was only at the part where they start searching the house where you you were mentioning they don't hit you over the head with we got the weapons from the board game, even the characters' names. It's not so obvious. It's like oh, Professor Plum. I get all those right. But, but they also like justified it like that's not their actual name. That's yeah, exactly. Because if you had, I'm Colonel Mustard, I'm Professor Plum, you're going to be like, okay, well, this is clearly a board game. But they say right away, as soon as I think Colonel Mustard is the first one that's introduced, oh, this isn't your real name. Who gave us all these aliases? The weapons, they're there for a reason. And he says, this is so one of you will kill the butler. And there's really three elements to the board game. You have the characters that are in it. You have the weapons. And then the whole concept of the board game is that you you solve these clues and eventually at the end of the game you find out who committed the murder what room they did it in and what weapon they use and those are the three elements of the game and it was only at this point in the movie when they were doing the search of the house where I'm like oh they did include the rooms as well because you know they're in the study for like half the movie and uh, in the dining room for half the movie and then you start going around you're like okay well there's the billiards room and there's the, uh, the the cellar and everything else, and it just you know goes on and on from there. It I really had no recollection of uh, throughout this movie of oh okay the lounge oh the kitchen and I think everybody knows that too you know all the different rooms, uh, but it was just clever the way that they work that in there. Um, did you play the game as a kid? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, actually, you know what we did, mm-hmm. and at my at one point I was obsessed with the game. I started collecting different versions of it. Was um, this before or after you saw the movie, too? Before. Okay. Because I didn't realize the movie had existed, like, until, I don't know, I want to say I was at least, like, 18 years old, hmm. and I'm collecting these games when I'm no no much older than the teens, you know? So it's, yeah. like, I didn't even know about it. And and then just one point I heard about the movie, and I was like, that's interesting. I love the game. I've I've collected it. I've played it as a child. Let me see what the movie's like. And then 
it all felt it all went downhill from there or uphill <laughs> i guess it has to be uphill once you see the movie yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dying to play the game again that's so funny I think that this movie would really have worked if they promoted it better to get people to buy your game because I, I mean I like different board games <clears throat> there's probably only a few that I'll go my way to play I'm, I'm huge into chess even though I'm the world's worst chess player I guess you consider that a board game I would play chess all, I used to carry a chess board with me everywhere I went and I would lose every game it was just a challenge to myself to see if I could ever win although I was going to say Clue does lose it's uh, interest as a game and as adults. Does it? Because you, you realize the, 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 there's an inherent flaw in the game that you don't realize as a child, but you realize as an adult. So it's a little sad when you play the game. Spoil it for me now before I go out and spend my good hard-earned money on the clue of the so, game. The whole thing is that you ask people, or you have to guess what the thing is, and you have to ask... You have to, I forget the specifics, but you have to ask people... When you get into a room, you ask someone, mm-hmm. or you make a guess, and if anyone has it, they'll they'll say no, that's not accurate. Yeah, and you have to, and they'll tell you what they have or whatever. But if someone says, "Okay, it was Mrs. White, billiard room, a knife," mm-hmm. and if all three people have something, then you realize all those three are not right. So, like, you eliminate a lot of the guesses off the bat. Oh, okay. So, like, you only can... You could solve the game in, like, less than five minutes. Because if everyone has these answers, then you know what's not. So this game is basically made for really dumb children, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you make... Like, if you make a guess and everyone's got a card, you know those three cards are not in the mystery envelope, Mm -hmm. which is the actual answer. I'm, I'm explaining it really poorly, but... No, no, because I, 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 I have, a, I can remember the game. And also, well, I wanted to mention uh, another movie that ties to this, which I kind of mentioned in the beginning, uh, where, did you ever see, and maybe this will come up again, but have you ever seen the Bill and Ted movies? No. You've never seen Bill and Ted 1 or 2? No. Oh, okay, we might have some fun with this. Okay. Uh, oh, so, gosh. So, you know what the concept is of Bill and Ted? No, I- Wow, this could be even more fun. Anyways, they're two dumb high school kids. Keanu Reeves, it was like his breakthrough movie. Two dumb high school kids who in the future are like, you know, this this band that basically saves the world. And they get a time machine uh, to pass their history report and they go back in time and they collect all these historical figures. Anyways, the second movie involves them actually dying. So, they, you know, villains come back in time to stop these guys who create this band that saves the world and they die and they basically spend the movie going back and forth through the afterlife and at one point they're playing the Grim Reaper for a chance at a second life and they take it so literally that they're just playing him one game after the other and they keep beating him you know at different games Twister and all that and I just always remember the uh, one where they're playing Clue with him, they're playing the Grim Reaper, and the Grim Reaper's like I say Colonel Mustard did it in the study with the candlestick and then Bill and Ted are like, you were wrong. It was Professor Plum. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember how you actually have to guess, too. So I kind of get what you're saying there. It's like a, you have to guess through process of elimination. Yeah. But if, you ask a, if I ask you a question and Jamie's playing, too, Jamie, if, you ha- if someone has all three cards, like Jamie knows that those three cards aren't effective just as mm-hmm. much as I do and you do. 
So it's like it's going to take less time to figure out the end. So it's less fun of mystery and guessing and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've grown to be too smart for this. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention was with all the rooms, the cellar, because in the board game, I always remembered the cellar, the basement, is where you get the final clue that actually tells you who committed this murder and with what or whatever. Uh, but you never go there until the end of the game. But they throw it at you here. Probably another one of the reasons why it's not really drawing attention to the fact that, yes, you know, this is based on a board game and, uh, you know, we're going to throw everything at you. They treat it as its own movie that still takes inspiration from the game, which I like. Um, so the police car comes, as you said. The other thing to mention is that Wadsworth said at the beginning, I called the police, they'll be here in 39 minutes. You just sent me a link, which uh, maybe we'll go over some of these about the movies that take place in one night. This movie doesn't necessarily even just take place in one night. It almost takes place in real time. Because he says the police will be here in 39 minutes. And I'd love to go back and watch this movie and count to see if it is 39 minutes later when the police eventually show up. Uh, even the fake police officer at the or undercover at the front door. Have you ever noticed if that's the case? No, but it feels pretty close. If, I think it's mm-hmm. a little bit off, but it feels pretty close. Okay. Because I don't think I don't know what point he says that he called the police that they should be arriving, mm-hmm. and I don't know what what police system <laughs> is like in 1954 where you can just arrange a police to visit at certain hours or something. Yeah, I mean maybe but, they're I mean, just feels... so far away that that's how long it took to drive from the Number police five, station. The maybe the next state over is police or whatever. Yeah, um, but the first police officer shows up, which really just he came across a car on the side of the road, and I'm thinking this is supposed to be the car of the motorist who was locked in the room. Am I right? Say that again? The police officer who discovers the car. He's, he's actually discovering the motorist car. He's not discovering Scarlett's car, is he? No, I think it was the motorist. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, this is where the movie gets quite confusing before the police officer even shows up at the door because we start to see... I guess not so much even just, oh, bodies are... They keep it interesting because it's not just bodies are showing up. Which one of you killed them? Who wasn't in the room? We see now somebody wearing gloves burning the evidence that's been there. This is the tape-recorded conversation that Wadsworth had set up from the beginning. Uh, The pictures and uh, all these different things. Uh, Now we finally get to see the guy on the phone. About 20 minutes later, he's on the phone. He's basically saying, I'm in this house. I'm really nervous. Uh, I, I... I think one of these people here, I know them. They're my old boss. Now, do we find out who this guy was? I know so many things are thrown on us at the end, but who was the one that he was referring to that said that this guy, this motorist, was uh, an employee of? I think it was um, Colonel, wasn't it? Was it Colonel Mustard? Because I know he said at one point that, that he was the driver. And I don't know if we take... First off, I don't know if we take the first two... like. Um, endings as like canon mm-hmm. is like the last one the one true ending and the others were just like throwaway like suspicious yeah. things or something because I know that he, at one point in the night he admits that that was his driver during oh, okay that's right yeah the war times and he sold the secrets or whatever that's the moment I was thinking of yeah yeah like so much information is given just in a few minutes at the end uh, which actually is more like half an hour they they take their time on the end we're still keeping it entertaining but. Before we get there, we all start to see, as they're searching, there's secret doors all over the place in this house. So you start to put together, there's a reason why people are just able to pop in and out. 
Um, who ends up getting locked in the room here? Um, Colonel and Scarlet, they end up going through the passage, which leads to the motorist that's dead. Yeah. And for some reason, it, you know, Wadsworth has the key, but the key is gone. Maybe that was the key that got thrown out. Mm-hmm. No, that was, that was, oh, maybe, maybe that was the key that was thrown. Anyway, um, and then they're getting stuck and then Wadsworth's trying to break the door down and there's a funny scene where Mr. Green says, someone open the door, they don't have the key. And then Professor Plum says, open the door. And he says, I can't without the key. Yeah. And starts shaking him. Um, and when they're, and the, yeah, the whole let us in, let us in, let us out, let us, let us out. Us out. Let us out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even just Tim Curry trying to run into the door, just falling flat on his back. Like, you knew that gag was coming, but he just plays it in a way that's just a little bit different physically from what you'd expect. So tons of credit to Tim Curry and, and anything Tim Curry does. That's why he is just Tim Curry. Um, so Yvette basically goes and gets the gun. And this is where you find out, well, the gun cabinet wasn't locked because I think we actually see her run in and get it. You know, they kind of give the story, or did you have the key to unlock it? We see her go in and it's already unlocked from what I remember. And she uses this to shoot the door lock out, which ends up hitting um, Colonel Mustard a little bit, I think. Uh, she, and... she accidentally, she trips on um, Tim Curry and then shoots the chandelier. Yeah. And then she, well, he says he got shot, but I think that was just... Um, that was the other thing, is I don't remember... I, well, he didn't not see any blood or nicks or anything yeah. on him. I think he was just playing up to the scene. I don't know. And there's the moment where Mustard says, I just can't take any more scares. And then the chandelier just drops right behind him. Uh, this is where the police officer actually shows up. The doorbell goes off after all of this. Another dead body's in the house. Uh, the gun is back into play. Somebody may or may not have been shot. The chandelier just exploded on the floor. And the doorbell goes off and they open the door and... <laughs> basically open it look at him and immediately close the door and then you wait a couple of seconds and they open it again and i think it was green here that was saying we have to come clean about this and there's a lot of back and forth of uh um a lot of back and forth of you know uh oh do you have somebody to tell me yes and everybody else is like no i think that's around this part where green's kind yeah. of wanting to fess up yeah because i didn't do it yeah exactly i, I didn't do it so it's become very uh um uh, very obvious at this point um, so they let the police officer in as he's asking, you know, did this motor stop by here? Yes. And everybody else says no. Uh, they tell him, wait in the, oh no, how about the, um, no, not the no. study. Um, hey, can you just go wait in the library and do me a favor and don't leave there? <laughs> They're running out of room. Is there even a phone in there? Like, well, he uses, he answers the phone. So oh, yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, Jake, <laughs> which I, I thought that was just a weird joke and that it wasn't actually going to pay off later on, but it does. Um, yeah so he ends up going into the library and of course they lock him in there like they're locking everybody in these rooms and then uh, I'll charge you with the attempted murder and all this stuff and it's like yeah. murder yeah wh why did you say murder it's like I, I, I just wanted you to open the door like the police officer still has no clue what's going on here he just knows something's weird and then he asks why are you receiving calls from J. Edgar Hoover <laughs> and it's like well doesn't everybody get calls from J. Edgar Hoover <laughs> Um, in the end, they get shown around the house. So Tim Curry's just trying to explain off. Well, we're all shaken up because of the chandelier falling. And who was it that's showing the police officer around here? Um, Miss Scarlet tells Mr. Green to go give him the tour. Yeah. Because I'm guessing at some point she had this idea to cover up all these bodies. 
mm-hmm. and create this diversion. Which basically is necrophilia, <laughs> more or less. But again, subtle enough that it's just a joke. It's not gross or anything. So as the police officer's going around, how are we going to hide these bodies? You see, I think it's Scarlet uh, on the couch, maybe making out with Mr. Body's dead body, just so uh, that she can cover it, it up. Mrs. White. Oh, Mrs. White, yeah. It was and Mrs. Then, White uh, pretending to make out with Mr. Body. And Mustard, uh, mustard against the curtains. Mustard it on with the cook. The cook. Well, Mrs. Keacock was Had pretending the, arms. the arms. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so absurd, but it's so clever, too. Like, not anybody. You can't have just anybody come up with these ideas. Uh, and then the police officer, finally, when he finds Wadsworth, and he goes, I know what's going on now. And Wadsworth, of course, thinks, well, did Mr. Green you know, spill the beans? He goes, there's nothing illegal about any of this. There isn't? Like, of course, he's thinking he's talking about all these dead bodies. No, this is America. It's a free country after all. <laughs> I didn't know it was that free. Yeah, I didn't know it was that free. <laughs> uh, and then... I was going to say, mention one of the scenes that when they when he went into the room which had um, Professor Plum, Miss Scarlet, and the, the motorist, Mm-hmm. There's like this is one of the jokes that I picked up this time that I didn't pick up before was is someone the cop says is someone going to take him give him a ride back or whatever and Mr. Uh, yeah Miss Scarlett says yes so he'll get a ride and then uh, Professor Plum says yeah nice long a nice long black car and I didn't pick up on what he was talking about yeah what was he talking about he's talking about a the line Oh, Hearst, yeah, okay, I and get then, it now. And then Miss Scarlet says, no, yeah, a limo, a limo. Yeah. So, and I just never picked up on what he was referencing, and I was like, now I get it. Yeah, because, the, again, there are moments in this movie, like I mentioned, mostly with Mrs. White, where you're like, I know that line was funny, but it just came so quickly and so subtly that I need to go back. And that was one of these moments where like, oh, I'm not going to go back, but I'm sure there was a joke in there that I somehow missed. It's uh, the it's like a shows with la- without the laugh tracks like yeah kind of almost expect the ha ha ha. Well, but that's the other thing is like if this were a sitcom, they would be pausing for laughter every time. When you don't have to pause for laughter, a I think it makes it funnier, and b it makes it less obvious and it makes you pay attention to it more. Um, and you can get more jokes in that way too. Uh, yeah, there's this plays out. I feel more like a stage play than anything else, but the same logic applies. If you're doing a sitcom or a stage play, if the audience is laughing, you have to pause for the laughter. And there's just something special about a movie like this where the jokes can just fly and you're like, whoa, I didn't even catch that, but I know something funny happened. Yeah, I always like say that this movie would be such a great um, theater performance mm-hmm. for like small community theaters, larger scale. Like it would be, I just it would be enjoyable to watch. So after the police officer shows up, we get the whole free country thing. Um, we get... A black glove. So now, anytime you see a black glove, you know this is who the real killer is. And if you weren't watching this movie real time, if you wanted to go back and rewind, you'd probably be rewinding and seeing, well, who's standing there that doesn't have black gloves on? The lights go out. At this point in the movie, I'm at least thinking, well, there have to be two people involved in this. Because there's no way that you could have this many deaths with this many characters on screen and not give it away unless you had written one character out. So I'm definitely thinking there's two people. I'm probably not even able to keep up. There's so much going on. That's another one of these areas where we just talked about how quickly the jokes come, how quickly all the story comes and all that. You don't really have time to process it. So you don't sit there trying to figure out, well, this person had to have done it and this person had to have done it. That's where I think this being a comedy actually helps the movie. The power goes out and then uh, we have a few more deaths here we have the maid uh yvette 
where now we know she's in on it because she walks into the room and at first I was wondering, I was hearing the conversation of two people talking and you could tell they're talking like these are the people who are involved, but she's in the dark and you can't even tell her mouth's moving and just a clever way that they played this scene where you're guessing, second guessing all the way up to the last second until you can see her mouth moving and realizing she's the other part of this conversation. Uh, but then she's dead. So she gets the rope around the neck and then the police officer gets hit with the pipe. Um, and then we have the random singing telegram girl show up at the door, <laughs> uh, which I just thought kind of like the J. Edgar comment early on and then the evangelist that comes up after this, that these were just these kind of goofy, campy moments that were just meant to provide a little bit of a laugh and really had no relevance. But everything in this movie is relevant. And I think the only other comedy I could think of that was this complex where you could you know, apply the same thinking would be Back to the Future, where no matter what the joke is, even the joke is there for a reason that's going to pay off later on. I love that here. Um, Tim Curry ends up in the shower. He gets soaked. Uh, and when the power is back on, they all walk around and see the dead bodies. And I just love, they walk in and they see the maid and everybody just sort of looks and they walk away. Like there's no reaction to Yvette dying at all. It's just like, all right, Yvette's dead now. As expected with the night. Yeah. Like they kind of, the lights are out. Someone screams. There's a gunshot. Someone's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course the police officer and then the telegram girl. And then there, it's, it's just so calm at this point. It's no longer freaking out. It's like, well, there's, we've just had three more murders, so that's six altogether. So now they're just doing the math on everything. Uh, after this, it's going to basically come our climaxes and how Tim Curry lays everything out here. So let's just break it up right before we get there. Um, yeah, this was definitely the most like intense bit of moments with the uh, three deaths happening within moments of each other. And you definitely do get the sense because there's no way that someone could kill one person with the rope and then run all the way to the other room with the thing and then get the gun seems like it's too many people and too many pieces for one person so you definitely get that confusion um and then the whole of that not being a french maid uh, breaking down and like it all really confuses you as like oh she was not who she was either it's like yeah and then you obviously get resolved when tim curry says that everyone there was important in the night and everything um and one thing that I really liked that they did was that when the lights go out, they show people screaming and reacting. Even though at the end of the day, we figure out who some of these people that we saw reacting to the lights going out were actually killing mm-hmm. some of the people. Like someone who went downstairs and turned the light off even screamed when the lights were out. So it's like they, they throw in these moments that confuse you because you don't know who who's really innocent or guilty or what or what their relation to the story is. So I think that they do a lot of subtle, quick things that really kind of play with your mind. And I think that's what makes it really compelling. And I just love how nonchalant they are at the end. When they're just like, dead body. Oh, look, another. <laughs> and it's just so casual. It's just no reaction anymore from the people. They're like, all right, well, who's going to be next? <laughs> um, Tim Curry lays out the entire planet. This is... Did you have anyone that would... Did you suspect anyone or... Because at this point, you know it's not a minor character that's committed murder. At this point, it's only the main seven that are left. Yeah. Well, no, that's... And that angelical guy, but obviously he doesn't have any much relation to the murder, but... Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think maybe because nowadays movies like this, which it's normally slasher movies now as opposed to like murder mysteries, um, it's all about well who who did it, the who done it thrillers, and it always ends up being just a character. They're they're so uh, worried about not spoiling this for the audience that they just pick a character that has no relevance, no significance whatsoever so that you would never see it coming. And I kind of mentioned the bone collector there, and I'm, I don't think this spoils it for anybody unless they expected Denzel Washington to be <laughs> killing people in his own movie. Uh, that what made me so mad watching the bone collector was it wasn't even a character. You had to rewatch the movie to even notice this character was in the movie. And that's not the smart way to do it. The smart way is to do it like this, where you've done a good enough job making everybody a suspect so it's not about well we need to surprise the audience let's pick somebody that they'll never guess because they can't remember them let's just find a clever way of explaining it so i was thinking it would be these minor characters especially when we saw a vet i'm like okay well maybe the cook ends up being alive and maybe body is still alive and they have to kill him three times and the last thing i was thinking at this point was that it would be one of the major characters um but you know obviously once we get to the point where here they've killed off all the minor characters, the first thing I started doing again was let me watch the people on screen. And in this next scene coming up, I was mostly watching Christopher Lloyd. And it's funny that he's the character who didn't really get an alternate ending of him being the killer, which is kind of weird because when you watch this, if you if you were to go out of your way to watch this and think, well, are they drawing attention to him? He's the guy that as they're going through all these plans is not defending himself and doesn't really seem surprised at all as they're like, oh, and then this is what happened. And then they found the secret entrance. He almost looks suspicious in the scenes. And that's what I was watching. So I was definitely thinking him after all these minor characters were killed. Okay. Okay. No, on to the last part. All right. <laughs> no theories on where, where, or at least your first time watching this movie or can't remember. Honestly, I want to say I can't remember. That's why I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, it's been so long, like I said. Like, I just feel like it's... But at any point, were you even thinking Tim Curry could be the guy? Maybe he was probably the one that I would be like, honestly, I could see him doing it. Mm-hmm. Just Because I feel like in my head, I'm like, oh, that would be a real twist. Yeah. Like, that would put... Every, if Tim Curry did all these murders... For some, maybe some reason, I don't know. I couldn't probably guesstimate a reason, but like that would really be cool because I feel like the main characters of the game were all innocent. They just happened to be in this crazy universe where it happened around them or something. And I thought that would be cool. Mm-hmm. I never expected the final ending. And, and I never expected three endings. Like that was yeah. a, a shock. Yeah. And the three endings, we'll go through all of them here. Um, the majority is, I think, what we see in the first one because after this, it sort of becomes well. Let's pick it up at this point in the conversation because um, well, everything else stayed the same. Like nothing changed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just certain points in here where the story's going to shift. But the idea that had theatrically was that this movie would have a different ending depending on what theater you were in, and it was a way to get repeat business, but also to kind of tie into the way the game is. Uh, and I think the only movie that did anything similar to this at least recently was I want to say it was The Wolverine the second uh, Hugh Jackman Wolverine spinoff movie where there was a post credit scene and 
it was different. Oh no, it was the first one. I think it was. I think it was the the first Origins Wolverine movie, where there were like three or four different post credit scenes, and depending what theater you were seeing it in, you would see a different post credit scene. Uh, but I mean, that's such a small idea compared to this. Like, I this kind of gets criticism now, and I think even the filmmakers. I was reading some stories that they've come out like Jonathan Lynn was saying this is why the whole multiple ending concept didn't work. Uh, and they're being critical, saying we should have just picked one and stuck with it. I think this is incredibly clever. Even if it was just the way you would see it in 1985 theatrically, to be able to see one ending and then see a different one is, is a really clever idea. And it wasn't just, well, we're going to change two lines on the end. It's not the Wayne's World finish where... It's actually playing a, a whole five or ten minute scene uh, differently. And the way it's presented here is clever because... Whereas you saw it in the theater and it was just one ending no matter where you went, they release it on video and DVD, Blu-ray now, and they group all three in here. So we see one and then they say, well, that's how it could have happened, but here's another version. And then they show that and they're like, those would have been interesting, but this is the real story and we get the third one. But basically it amounts to Tim Curry running around back and forth, probably one of the greatest performances he's ever given, uh so many little things he drops in here like uh he's he's running through the entire movie is what he's doing so he's like you knocked on the door i opened the door i took your coat i said colonel mustard you said this and it's like within a minute a few minutes here he's basically narrated the entire movie and sometimes the other actors like we get it we remember this part okay move on get to the point uh but even like when he's like uh i was in the hallway i know that because i was there (laughs) he just stops just to give little lines like that uh, when he's like, hello, hello, uh, you know, why was the body pretending to be dead and all that? Um, it, it just and then he's on. kicking uh, Mr. Green down as to pretend to be Mr. Body. Yeah. And, and Mr. Like, Green just becomes the stand-in for Mr. Body and like takes so much guy. physical abuse here. <laughs> uh, this is just brilliant for Tim Curry. Uh, and everything Tim Curry does is brilliant. But I mean, this this is probably my favorite moment uh, that I've ever had of Tim Curry in any movie is just this first ending of him running all the way around the house, narrating exactly what happened. We find out that the cook and Yvette, and this is, I think, something that was going to be consistent in the other two endings, if I remember right. The cook and Yvette were accomplices of the killer. Uh, they had to be. Uh, we find out everybody there knew Yvette, at least in the first ending. Um, and some of that was like, well, you know, I was sleeping with her. Some of it was, well, she was sleeping with my husband. She was basically sleeping around. That's the easiest way to put it. Uh, and um, the, what was that? there was another funny line here about uh, uh, Colonel Mustard saying, well, how did you know that? When he was Tim asking Tim Curry, how did you know that? He goes, can you keep a secret? He goes, yes, so can I. And he just drops it and says nothing there. Uh, obviously, Mustard was the war profiteer. And we find out here where the driver... His driver during the war uh, was the guy who showed up at the house. That's where he said he was his old boss. And then we have the evangelist showing up at the door, which I thought was George Carlin. And that, again, ties to Bill and Ted because George Carlin was in the Bill and Ted movies. But this isn't George Carlin. Uh, It's actually not George Carlin. Howard Hesseman, who was on a couple of sitcoms uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Very famous. But I totally thought it was George. I wrote George Carlin my notes several times. Um and I thought, again, this is just a one-off joke in all this nonsense and all what's going on. An evangelist shows up the door and he tries to, you know, hand them his pamphlet and they just slam the door on him, but he's going to come up later on. Oh, how much stuff am I missing here? I have no idea. Um, who ends up being the killer in this first one here? This was Miss Scarlet, right? 
you know, Miss Scarlet was the first one. Okay, so we'll touch on just the Miss Scarlet ending here. Uh, she basically says, yeah, she runs, the, you know, she's the pimp, she's the Miss Scarlet or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> Uh, she's not a communist. She's a capitalist because her real business is selling secrets. And uh, what was – there's another line here. I'm trying to – this is where I'm trying to make sense of my notes. Uh, what, oh, yeah, where they mentioned the UN. Uh, that, I think that's in the second ending, isn't it? With Professor Plum? UN. Oh, gosh. Now I'm getting confused. I'll just end it with Miss Scarlet. I'll mention the, the Professor Plum thing after this. Anybody who watches the movie is going to be confused. But Miss Scarlet is the killer in the first ending with Yvette and the cook being her accomplices. Uh, discuss ending number one. Um, so wait, just let me recap. I'm a little lost in all of our discussions. So in this ending, Miss Scarlet kills every single one. The cook, Yvette, the telegram, the motorist, mm, and the cop. I would have to go back and watch it again. I think she was the only one that was really implicated, but it may have been Yvette and the cook helped her with this. It may okay. have been. Because <laughs> I know Yvette, I think Yvette was the one who killed the cook. Was that, was that just in the last one, or was that just in, like, or does that carry through the other two? Because I remember her, um, you know, them saying that Yvette killed the cook at the end. I'm trying to scan through it right now as you're talking. I'm watching... Because I just Scarlet don't know if kill the, everybody. Well, I don't know if these first two endings are can. Oh yeah, can, okay. And so, with the story, so Yvette kills the cook in the Scarlet ending, the number one ending, Scarlet ending. Yvette kills the cook, and then Scarlet kills Yvette, and Scarlet kills pretty much everybody else. Okay. Um, I was like a little confused by this, just because I was like, oh, that seems weird that everything would fall on one person, because I was a little confused. Um, because so I was like, it seems really crazy when three people die within two seconds. Um, but like the first time I watched this, I was like blown away when it wasn't the real ending, and I was like, what? Yeah. But um, yes, of an appalling. I think all the like I think one of the things is that all the stories kind of check out for the movie. Like, if it ended here, I'd be like, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like it's, I'm sold. Like it makes sense to me. They justified everything and everything like that. Um, and I love the scene where they're doing the counting of the gun bullets. Oh yeah, <laughs> one plus two plus two plus one. No, yeah. it's one plus two plus one plus one. <laughs> and then when she when he, when he, he yeah. fires the gun and it's one plus two. There were no bullets in this gun. Fires the shot. One, one plus, plus two plus one plus one. one. <laughs> and it's just like I didn't even know how that ca- like I wasn't even doing the math, but it's just so funny. Mm-hmm. That scene, whole scene with the two. It's like, no, you're not trying to change the subject and just like tries to get out and everything. It's just so funny. <laughs> um, the other thing to mention on this, of course, is that the uh, the guy, the evangelist of the door, comes in and arrests Scarlet because it was the FBI the whole time. That's kind of the one consistent through all the endings here is that he was the FBI and uh, <clears throat> I guess everybody kind of gets arrested here. But the other thing I really liked was that these endings, it wasn't just this is a different killer. The endings themselves are completely different. Like how the people get away. Like Scarlet just gets arrested. Miss Peacock in the next one kind of starts to get away and then is eventually arrested. Uh, even just the way that the scenes end, like the, the first one, the Scarlet ending, it, it sort of ends with the, the joke, the ongoing joke of, you know, Colonel Mustard and then the chandelier collapsing behind him and all that. 
um, with uh, the second ending. This is the Miss Peacock ending. And so I don't know if it was here. I think she was basically implicating everybody else. But there was some point in here where Professor Plum has a line. They're, they're talking about whatever shady dealings he had. And they said, you would have lost your job at the UN. And he says something along the lines of, it's like, uh, do you know what kind of people work at the UN? I'd probably go up in, you know, uh, their their uh, minds or in their estimations. Uh, yeah, I think that was in the first ending, actually. So Peacock in the second one. This one, there's no police. And this is what I was talking about. I like that every ending is handled differently. With Miss Scarlet, Wadsworth, a.k.a. Tim Curry, is basically saying, and you're going to be arrested. And the police come in and hooray. And with the second one, with Peacock, he's basically saying, "No, we're just gonna let you go. Good job, you killed everybody. Congratulations." Like, we'll walk out. Well, I'll hide the bodies in the cellar, and we'll walk out one by one. Yeah, and no one yeah. has to know about it except for the seven of us. Exactly. Yeah, it's a completely different ending, and this is the one too. I think where they have the for she's a jolly good fellow as she walks away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love Mrs. White, who's trying to be like the solo artist. Yeah, because if you listen, are. Mrs. White's doing like. The after effects and the high pitched like, <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, that's so funny to me. Like, just going back and realistic. Oh, she's a jolly good fellow. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, what's the line about? Get on, man. Uh, like the Mounties. That's what it was. Yeah, just the way even like the final jokes are played off as laughs here with Mrs. Peacock when she gets away and uh, says, just like the Mounties, we always get our man. And then Mr. Green's like, Mrs. Peacock was a man? And there's just like back and forth slapping. (laughs) Um, So we kind of have the same thing with like, uh, that's not the real ending. Here's what really happened. So before we get to the actual ending, you mentioned about like what a pleasant surprise it was that we had the multiple endings i wasn't expecting that i knew this movie had multiple endings but i thought they just picked one for the video release and you kind of could watch the other ones maybe on the special features uh the deleted scenes or something but grouping all the different scenes in here is such a clever idea and i guess before we even talk about which well we'll do it afterwards i'll kind of get an opinion as to which ending you really think worked best I can see why they include this as the what's really happened because it's the most elaborate. It's the one that ties everybody together. And this is the one where it's basically Wadsworth is behind everything, but yet everybody is a killer. So this isn't Colonel Mustard did it in the study with the candlestick. This is, well, yeah, Colonel Mustard killed this one and Mrs. White killed this one and Mr. Green. Like all the people who died, we have, what, six or seven main characters here? And... I think it's six, and uh, everybody killed somebody because of all the six dead bodies, six main characters. Well, every all... well, theoretically, all seven killed someone because at the end, yeah. Mr. Green does kill Wadsworth. So all of them, yeah, exactly, one person. Yeah, and that's the funny thing is that the one thing that we've seen this consistent throughout this is Mr. Green saying, "I didn't do it." It's like that's all he says. That's his excuse for everything. But I didn't do it. And then at the end of the movie. Yeah, Wadsworth is about to get away with this because he's the one who's put everybody up to this and he's been the mastermind behind it all uh, and was it the ending here this is the one that has your line about oh yeah with Yvette for why Mrs. Uh, White killed Yvette yeah. <laughs> probably no way to do it justice but she just starts trailing off on her thoughts and the way that Madeline Kahn delivers these lines is so funny where she goes, I hated her so much. Just flames on the side of her face, breathing, heavy breaths. <laughs> it's, 
it's so funny. Um, Green is the only one who didn't do anything. The butler shot the girl at the end. Uh, they had a funny line here about, uh, I do that in uh, choosing to not expose myself and <laughs> they're kind of playing off that line here. But again, it's very subtle. Um, and what does this mean? Green is a planet? Did I have autocorrect? Oh, he's a plant. Plant. <laughs> Planet. See, this is the problem. There's so much going on in this movie that you can't remember, A, what happened uh, a little yeah. while afterwards, like and your that. own notes don't make sense. Uh, Green is a plant, so he's there. He's part of the FBI. J. Edgar Hoover was his boss. That's who J. Edgar Hoover was calling. He shoots Tim Curry, and yeah, as you said, in this final ending, the reason this one works is because everybody actually does kill somebody. Bang. So Wadsworth is behind it all, but everybody has that moment where they kill somebody. And uh, that's kind of our official ending of this movie. So, going through all that, feel free to talk about this final ending where Green's the hero and Wadsworth's the villain. And then uh, after that, we'll get into which ending is your favorite. Um, yeah, again, like this one, this is like when you watch this, you're like, you're kind of like in a state of shock because I'm like, did I, could I have seen that coming? Like, um, like then when we were watching the um, uh, Parks and Rec episode, I told you I went back and I watched to see if that kid was in the scenes doing all the pranking. And I was like, I think I, the first time I saw this, I was like, I got to go back and see if people were there. And I remember there is someone missing when they were in the kitchen looking at the cook. Like I remember counting. I'm like, there's someone missing. I didn't see who it was, but I'm like, there's people missing, and I could tell like that there's a less crowd and stuff. So like, I, there was clues along the way that you could pick up if you weren't really paying attention, even if you just saw oh, that's not everyone. Oh, yeah. whatever. Like you, sometimes you just pass it off as oh, they're, they're just not in that scene. They're not going to get paid for that moment, or whatever. But it all builds up. Like every moment contributes to the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that they tell the story so well, especially with all this crazy running around and everything. And this person did this. You were in the study when this ended, and it was—it was just—it was like crazy. It's so hard to keep up, but oh, it's so funny. And, and then, of course, the the line where we actually get you know connected to the weapons, where he uh, Green talks about in the end. Uh, it's like I did it in the hall with the revolver. <laughs> we we again tie back to the board game just with the part there. Yeah, that and that, that's like probably the only the biggest thing that they connect to the game. Yeah, was was that last line. Other than other than the weapons and the names of the characters and the the rooms of the house, like mm-hmm. nothing is over the top. Nothing is hit hit you on the head kind of stuff. And yet, at the same time, even if you didn't have a line like that, you still finish watching this movie and you think about the board game and you're like, oh yeah, that that board game must be a blast. And you know, maybe it's not as fun as I remember it, but it's just it's everything that Battleship wasn't. It it was the board game, and yet it was something original and unique and it was entertaining as opposed to not being entertaining. Why you weren't entertained by Battlestar Battleship? Uh, not unless it was Taylor Kitsch and Rihanna. Okay. (laughs) Did you watch Battleship? Should we be covering Battleship? (laughs) I'm not watching that. Don't even ask. Okay. Uh, you're very smart. Uh, so of those three endings, obviously, the most entertaining way to do this is to present all three endings the way that they do now on DVD. But do you have a preference? If you had to pick one of these endings, which one do you think works as the best ending? 
I honestly really like the last one. Mm-hmm. Just, I think it's such a fresh take on a way to do like a murder mystery and a way to do something where people are dying and stuff. Like I don't think in the first, I, I cannot picture, I mean, I can't remember too well, but I honestly don't think I ever expected everyone to be involved. Yeah. Like at all. Like I never would have expected any of this, all these people to have a say in the, the situations. And I think that just the way that they told all these stories of, you know, Mrs. White knew of bed and Miss Scarlet knew the cot, like all these like little mm-hmm. things. Like I think it just works so well because I feel like why would Miss Peacock care if um, <laughs> about like why would she kill the cop because she never knew him? Yeah. Like from what I know, like th- there was no relation between the cop and her. Like so I, I think that the last ending makes the most you know, sense and sort of putting the pieces together, and it and it makes the scenes from the original, like from the before, like you know, so and so is with so and so, and the miss and the the lights go out and all that stuff makes more sense because you know, if um, say like oh, I'm trying to think of a example, but if you know when the lights go out, it would it would make less sense for Mrs. Peacock to run all the way up the stairs in the dark. Yeah. And things like that to kill the cop or the whatever than it does for you know um miss scarlet who's on the main level to kill the cop you know it's a lot the mechanics makes a lot more sense too i think i i loved the first ending and maybe part of that was because you get to see it play out entirely whereas the other ones they cut back halfway through the scene uh and i remember thinking oh you know i really like that first ending because i i feel like they explained everything so well uh but then I kind of finished the movie and I looked at all three scenes very separately. Like, just like this movie is part murder mystery, it's part fun comedy, and it's part just you know, complete nonsense, ridiculous, over the top. All three endings kind of represent that. The first one works the best. The the Miss Scarlet ending works the best as a murder mystery because I feel like they explain everything and it's simpler like a movie like that would be. The second one is your comedy ending. It's it's funny. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's more for the jokes. It's, you know, uh, the she's a jolly good fellow and all that. And the third ending, I think, is the one that's actually most appropriate for this movie because it's just so over the top and so complicated and everybody's connected. And plus, if you're going to make a movie out of the board game, you have to one-up it. You can't just say, well, this is the killer. And it was, you know, Professor Plum all along. No, you have to do something really original and creative. And that's, I think, the one ending that's just not just so over the top that it works on an entertainment level. It's so creative that it's fitting for if you're going to make a movie out of a board game, which people have probably tried to do for years, it's the only proper way to do it. Yeah, and it makes sense, especially, like, you know, the characters killing someone that's wronged them. Yeah. Personally over just killing for, like... No, for killing's sake. Also, we should mention the fourth ending, which I don't know if you've ever researched this. Uh, a fourth ending was shot, which, strangely enough, even though they chose to not include it in the movie or as one of their alternate endings, uh, it's the one that was used in the novelization of this. Because I, I wondered as soon as I was reading up on this and I saw a novelization, I'm like, oh, which wonder which one they picked. And they picked the one that was in the movie. That was probably a way to... Uh, give give the audience another way to experience this story. You know, just like you want to have them see it multiple times in theaters, 
you give them an excuse to buy the books. You will the books and have a different ending. But basically, that ending uh, ends up being Wadsworth as well. But it's a little bit more sinister. Uh, he killed everybody in this one, and also there the poison does come back because they've all been poisoned and they're just slowly dying. You're gonna die eventually. He runs away. Uh, he ends up being chased by the police, um, and I guess in the process of getting away. He gets eaten alive by the police dogs in the backseat of a car. Um, I mean, I don't know if this would have worked on a comedy level. It sounds quite dark. It also sounds clever. I think it would have been fun to see this as an alternate ending. I don't know if it's on any of the DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, but it's a fun ending regardless. Uh, how do you think that one would have fit in the movie? Um, I think it... I mean, I definitely think that it works in terms of they tied in everything. Like, the poison came back. It wasn't just, like, a random, like, you know, he had another gun and starts shooting everyone or whatever. Like, I think it, like, they worked with the same concept where everything was tied in. But I think it just seems a, kind of like a letdown of an ending if everyone just, like, is dead. Yeah. Like, it's, um, there's no, like, like, there's no like sort of resolve even though like death is the final ending like there's no there's no like ending it just feels like flat and I think that having some sort of like I think that was just that would have been too much of like a a plot twist kind of thing where it's just like done for doing it doesn't feel as justified and I think another thing about this that's interesting though is the reason why this was probably never included when they did this cut of all three endings is because you couldn't have Tim Curry sit there and explain, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. Oh, and by the way, I'm the killer because he just told a completely different story for 10 minutes. And it's a significant portion of the movie when he's running around the house saying, then we went here and then this happened. And he's running through everything uh, that we've already spent an hour watching. You can't do that. But what's interesting is that in this alternate ending, it's kind of played backwards where instead of Tim Curry saying, all right, this is what happened, everybody, he immediately confesses to being the killer. We don't get him running back and forth from this room, this room, none of them beating up Mr. Green. And he gets away, and it's only when he's confronted by the police afterwards that he does his whole, all right, so first we were on the stairs, and then I came, and then I opened the door, and Colonel Mustard was this. It would have been a backwards way of presenting it. So there's no way you could have included that in the movie, but I think it would still be interesting to see. But I do agree with you. I don't think that it's as fun as the other ones. And... Yeah, also for a Clue movie, you kind of want to have that, you know, this is the ultimate climactic ending and just having it be a little bit of, I guess, backwards from the other ones. It's it's more about, well, the killer gets what's coming to him in the end. Tim Curry is the main character of this movie, and I just feel like if he's going to be the killer, the only way to do it is to have everybody involved. I don't feel like this movie makes sense. They'd be there would be a lot more plot holes I think if it just was him the killer and I'd be interested to see this ending and try to watch the movie with it I don't know if there's a version online of it anywhere I, I don't know I, I, it just feels um, I was going to say in a comment um, uh, it escaped me oh well I, I just don't think it works as well uh, I do like how this is all done in real time. Uh, you sent me an interesting thing. Top 10 movies that take place over one night. Clue, uh, this is courtesy of watchmojo.com. Clue made number 10 on the list, uh, which I'm going to say I'm glad it's included in there, but 
there are so many worse movies that are ranked higher than this. Uh, some of the ones on this list here that definitely don't deserve to be a lock with Tom Hardy. That was an awful movie. Uh, Tom Hardy needs to be told that just by changing your voice in every movie doesn't make you interesting. Uh, actually do something interesting in a Cloverfield. Yeah, don't know if Cloverfield deserves to be higher than Clue. I, I still enjoy Cloverfield. Night of the Living Dead, maybe. Uh, we covered that. Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. Love that movie. Um, what else do we have here? The Warriors. I've never seen it. A couple I haven't seen here before Sunrise or before Sunset. American Graffiti definitely deserves to be on there. And Die Hard. I would rank Die Hard. Of all these, I'd say Die Hard and American Graffiti I'd definitely rank higher. But I mean, I love some of the other movies on this list. And I would put Clue right up there. So uh, before we get to our reviews, movies take place in one night. Do any of these other ones top Clue for you? Um, well, as I told you, this is my favorite movie, so no. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Your favorite movie of all time. Does Die Hard beat it? <laughs> Although I do love Die Hard. Don't get me wrong. But I love oh, okay. this movie so much more. That would be a close um, second if I had to rank. That is if I'm ranking it based on the movie itself. Like if I did, then yeah, this yeah. is obviously better. However, I do think Die Hard makes more sense under the context of one night. Like I th- rarely think of this under one night. Mm-hmm. I'm more caught up in the mystery than the, the timeline. Maybe one day we'll do unconventional Christmas movies and Die Hard will be in there, which is not unconventional. It is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. (laughs) Maybe we'll find time to do it. I know we have some other Christmas plans, Ben and I, but that that could be coming in the future. Um, Did you take the poll here? We've done this on all the other episodes. Which character are you? Did you do the Clue character poll? I am ready. Okay. So I'll do mine first here. So this is which Clue character are you? And I got you. You are Mr. Green. Uh, Such a sweet, sweet person. You're completely harmless, or so they think. What everyone else doesn't understand is that you're the real star and everyone else is your supporting cast. Without you, everything would fall apart. Uh, This is more talking about which uh, character, or what's their position in the movie, because I think Michael McKeon was the real star of this movie. But I got Mr. Green, I'm happy. I think Mr. Green's hilarious. Um, All right, and mine? You got Mrs. White. (laughs) We we got our wish. (laughs) Who's that? It's you, the ethereal creature who captures everyone's attention. So mysterious, yet so approachable. So good-looking, yet so relatable. People might jump to conclusions, but you know yourself. You did not kill all your husbands. It was an accident. Yeah, that's the other thing I uh, forgot to mention was the gimmick with her killing all of her husbands. So many funny lines throughout this. Uh, there was one where she talked about the... What was the line about the illusionist husband? Um, oh, it was a, he was an illusionist. Um, and then he's like, but he never reappeared. Well, I never said yeah. he was a very good illusionist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is, what, at least two episodes in a row. Do you remember who you got for Charlie Brown? I got... Oh, shoot. Because you got April for... Parks yeah, and Rec. I got Chris. And it, I can't remember who I got for I th- Charlie Brown. It may have been Sally or Lucy, I feel like. I know whatever one I got, I think I got Charlie Brown, and I was kind of like, really? I have to be Charlie Brown? Am I not cooler than that? <laughs> um, but yeah, we got one last one to do, and uh, I don't know if we're even going to find a poll for it. <laughs> you never think, know, Colin. You never know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a change-up, and I'm going to give you the choice between two movies for... Uh, our last one Ooh. that we're going to do. Um, let's do our ratings here of this. So, Clue, I know where you're going with this, and if you do anything but buy it, I'm 
curious <laughs> uh, if there was any movie you would buy. Uh, buy it, bin it, rent it. I have to bin it. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> no, I have to buy it. There's no other way I could. I love this movie. It's so great. And I could honestly, like, if you tell me we're going to recap Clue next week, I'd watch it again and recap it again. Yeah, Clue Second Viewing, the podcast. Like round two, like, I'd so do it. I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this. It's a movie I've wanted to see for years, and I knew there were good reviews behind it. Um, but, yeah, I, I even when I was watching this, I think halfway through, I'm like, I'd probably give this a strong rent. When you watch those three endings, like, it's instantly a buy. Uh, and I, if, if I go out and I see Clue the movie somewhere, I will buy it. That's not just a rating because it's the one that fits most appropriately. I definitely will buy this movie. Like, this movie was a blast, and uh, you're a genius for suggesting it. Um, oh, Colin, you say that again? You're a genius for suggesting Clue. Okay, thanks. I'm not going to say the same for everything you suggest, but at least Clue. <laughs> um, do we have anything else we have to do here? Uh, closing matters. We could go through box office a little bit. This movie did not make a lot. Uh, $14 million final domestic box office gross for a movie that I guess they put a lot of money behind. Didn't do too well. Uh, it's kind of surprising because I would think the concept alone would at least be interesting enough. And re- I think reviews have sort of changed over the years, whereas the initial reviews for the movie were mostly negative. It's definitely come around, but I, I don't even understand people giving this a bad review back in 1985. I mean, it's such a fun movie. Uh, opening weekend, what did this open up against? Uh, Rocky Four was number one for the third week in a row. Uh, okay, I love Rocky Four. I'll give it that. Uh, this was also beaten by opening weekend of Jewel of the Nile. Uh, is that like, I think that's a Michael Douglas movie. Douglas uh, yeah, that was like sequel to an, another Michael Douglas movie. Kind of poor man's Indiana Jones. Spies Like Us in its second weekend um, with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> Classics are here. White Knights. Uh, I have no idea what White Knights is, but that beat Clue, and that was in its fourth weekend. And Santa Claus the Movie with Dudley Moore oh. in its third weekend beat Clue. How does that happen? Uh, so we have to have a time machine and go back and, you know, have a band that saves the, the Clue box office. Yeah, because it dropped directly out of I mean, th- this isn't unusual now, but... Back in 1985, I mean, for any movie to just drop directly out of the top 10 in its second week. That's what happened with Clue. Uh, It was placed 12th in its second weekend. Um, And Back to the Future was number 13. And Back to the Future had been out for 25 straight weeks. So (laughs) not that much interest in Clue. Uh, And its third weekend, uh, it's still just outside the top 10. Um, Yeah, Clue didn't do well. Critically, I think it's improved a little bit over the years. Developed a big cult following, as you said. There are now lists online, like the top 10 movies that take place over one night. And which clue character are you, courtesy of BuzzFeed.com, dedicated to this cult classic, a.k.a. Rossi's favorite movie of all time. So, bravo, Rossi. Good suggestion. And I think totally fits the Halloween theme we had. I know. It's perfect. It's the perfect movie. It was pretty close to a perfect movie. I'll, I'll give you that. I can't think of anything wrong with this movie. So uh, this isn't I even win. just all I win, I win, I win. That's all I need to you, Well, we'll find out next week because it's now my choice. So I kind of picked the Charlie Brown one. You picked Parks and Rec, I think. Uh, you picked Clue. And I said, I'll pick a movie. Now, 
I've been going back and forth. I don't think I even fully decided on what I definitely wanted, although we had a loose idea. Two movies that I don't think either are considered Halloween movies. Two sequels to movies that are not Halloween movies. This is sort of, I'm going to call this the 90s, early 90s comedies that became Halloween movies, even though they're sequels to movies that are not Halloween related. Two sequels took totally different directions from the originals. One of them I mentioned already earlier in this movie, uh, in this podcast for Clue, connection to Clue, and there'll be a funny scene if you choose this one. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. You have not seen Bill and Ted 1 or 2. Uh, it's a hilarious movie. Uh, it's definitely not as good as the first. It's early days of Keanu Reeves. Since Keanu Reeves is in this, I think we could definitely get Jamie on the podcast. Uh, she will podcast anything about Keanu Reeves. Even though I think she's the one who told me, yeah, I can't stand the second Bill and Ted movie. Uh, but it'll be fun if we can get Jamie on the podcast. Bill and Ted basically die and go to hell and they go to heaven and they go to the afterlife and they come back to life and they fight evil robot versions of them from the future. Doesn't get any better than that. Maybe because the second choice will be Gremlins 2, the new batch. The original Gremlins, which came out in 1984, uh, was a Christmas movie or took place at Christmas. And the sequel just decided to move it to, I guess it was a summer location, but it's just in an office building overrun by these green creatures. They multiply when they uh, get wet. They turn into green slimy monsters when it's after midnight. Rossi, have you ever seen Gremlins 1 or 2? No. So I'm terrified. Way, I'm looking at the images of this movie. <laughs> it's a comedy. Uh, I'll tell you that. It's, it's a comedy. honestly scarier than Clue. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally a comedy. In fact, the funny thing about Gremlins is that the original Gremlins was considered a comedy, but it was a horror comedy. And it definitely has its horror elements to it. Gremlins 2 is just, like, completely ridiculous. And that's kind of what it's famous for, is the director said, if I'm going to do a sequel to Gremlins, I'll only do it if you let me do something completely different. And he made the most over-the-top comedy you've ever seen with disgusting, terrifying creatures in it. Uh, You have the choice between Gremlins 2... Or Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Which one would you pick? Um, I'm going to go with Keanu Reeves. There we go. And all the Gremlins fans out there are hating us right now for picking Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Maybe, if we have time, we'll do a bonus episode include Gremlins 2 as well. But... I, that's so gross, though. I don't want to watch <laughs> it. That's so gross. Oh, trust me. If you saw it, you'd love it. Um, hopefully. But, but that will be the bonus episode. If you want Gremlins 2... All we'll say is just tell us, send us messages, uh, tweet us. Yeah, like Colin. Uh, get our downloads for this Clue episode. Well over a thousand, bare it's minimum. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. No, no, they don't have to worry. It's going to happen. Everyone loves Clue. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think, the one that I was most curious to see what the downloads would be. Because when we're doing recaps, people have to have seen it. And it's not unusual for us to do a recap and have a couple thousand downloads on it. But... If it's a movie like this that not as many people are familiar with. But if you want Gremlins 2, download this episode. If you don't want Gremlins 2, then don't get the word out. <laughs> Tell everybody to not watch Clue. Uh, but next week for sure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Jamie, you're allowed to speak now. You haven't heard any of this. She has headphones in. You want to come here for a second? <laughs> Live transition. Oh, man. <laughs> no? Um. You heard none of that, but next week we just had a vote and we're covering Bill and Ted's bogus journey. So will you be here to talk about Keanu Reeves as Ted Theodore Logan? 
Well, of course I'll be there to talk about Keanu Reeves, but you have to pick that movie? Yes, that's exactly what I told you. She hates Bogus Journey. I love Bogus Journey. Couldn't you pick something where he's, like, shirtless and... Uh, there's a, there's two of them in the movie. There's two Keanu Reeves. That's good enough. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey next week. All right. So it's settled. Uh, Rossi, can't thank you enough for picking Clue this week. Uh, perfect suggestion. <laughs> totally fits our theme. And... Uh, I don't know. I think that we'll get a lot more people watching this movie just because we covered it. So thank you for being here. Yeah, any reason to talk about Clue, any reason to bring it into the public eye is a joy to me. So I'm so glad that I could be here for this. Even though I have flames, flames on the side of my face, heaving, <laughs> heaving, heaving breaths of fire. <laughs> I just want to watch that one clip again. I could see. I tried to look for this movie on YouTube because I was out of the house and I hadn't finished it yet and you can't find it but you can find tons of clips and I guarantee that's one of no, those No, it is. You just have to type in like yeah. Mrs. White Flames and it'll it'll be Yeah. <laughs> we should definitely link it to the uh, Anyways, let's wrap this up here. My name is Colin and I didn't do it. And my name is Rossi and it's a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. And having said that, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.